This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the importance of cooperation and aid more than ever. Yet the pandemic has also shown us that this current system of quote-unquote aid may not be working as it should to support the countries that really need it the most. In fact, some experts have described the current system as outdated and ineffective. So what are our options at the moment? So a group of experts are proposing that we look at global public investment as an alternative. And to find out more about this, I'm speaking to Dr. David McCoy, a member of the expert working group on global public investment. He's also the research lead at the United Nations University's International Institute for Global Health, which is the UN think tank on global health. Thank you so much for joining me today, David. Hi, Suan. Pleasure to be here. Now, before we dive into things, right, maybe I could get you to clarify what are the differences when we talk about public goods at the national versus international level? Because a lot of people would be more familiar about what our own governments are offering us as public goods. Okay, so maybe before kind of looking at the difference between national and global, it's important to understand what we mean by public goods and public services. And essentially what we're talking about are uh, the provision of goods and services that benefit everyone. Now, in economics, there's a very specific definition of public goods, which means that these are things which are non-rivalrous in consumption, i.e. means that if one person consume it, um, this good, it doesn't affect another person's ability to consume the good. And it is a good that is non-excludable, meaning it's very difficult to exclude a person from consuming the good. So classic examples of a global public good would include things like clean air, clean water. It would include things like law and order in a given country. It would include things like peace. Um, There's a whole range of public services and institutions that benefit everyone in society. Um, Just think about the network of roads and railways that you have in a country. You know, this is something... Bit of infrastructure that benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so public services and public goods are, are really important. And one of the important things about these types of goods and services is that they tend not to be provided well by the market. And there's all kinds of market failures in the production of public goods and public services, which is why you need to have public finance, public investment to be able to fund the provision of these goods and services. Um, Some people talk about the internet as being, or the World Wide Web as being another global public good. Everyone uses it, Mm -hmm. everyone benefits it. Some people talk about um, biodiversity as being a global public good. Um, Everyone benefits from there being biodiversity in the environment. Preservation of cultures, historical artifacts and museums, these are sometimes also referred to as, as public goods. So that's really what we're talking about. Now, very often we think about public goods and public services at the national level, because this is where we create and generate public finance at the national level. We, we raise public finance from taxes. Um, governments are then able to use this public revenue 
to um, to fund public services and public goods. But as you mentioned earlier, Suan, COVID has also described and also presented to us a very clear example of why we also need finance at the global level mm -hmm. to be able to fund, um, for example, with reference to COVID, um, vaccinations for everyone. Um, and this is really important because unless we vaccinate everybody, um, you know, the threat of mutations and variants with the COVID virus will be a threat that affects everybody. So we need to think about um, global vaccination campaigns as being a public, uh, as being a global public good. Um, we think about climate change. We think about the fact that we have too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere presenting a threat to everybody on this planet. We can then think about the need for global public institutions that can address this problem of reducing greenhouse gas emissions and you know preventing the kind of ecological um, catastrophe that we currently face. So global public goods are important, global public services are important, and global public institutions like the UN that are able to kind of um, facilitate cooperation between different countries so that we have international regimes to address the problems of climate change, for example, um, so that they are effective and, and well-governed and well-managed. So we've spoken about global public goods, um, services, global public um, institutions. So then what is global public investment? How does it work? So essentially, global public investment is this idea of generating revenue or finance that can then be governed and managed at the global level. Um, and, you know, there, there's a question as to where will this finance come from and who and how will manage this finance. Um, a big source of global public investment would need to come from countries, from governments, willing to make a contribution to providing funding for these global public services, goods and institutions that everyone will benefit from. Um, but there's also an increasing recognition that we need to generate revenue at the global level. And one reason for this is we have a globalized economy because of globalization. And we have um, problems with tax avoidance and tax evasion, which means that many countries find it very difficult to generate public revenue at the country level because of the ways in which people can avoid and evade tax. So there is also discussions happening about the need to kind of create um, a global international tax regime that can generate um, greater levels and amounts of public revenue um, that can be used at the global level. So. If, um, and maybe from there, I want to dive a bit more into what the current system looks like, right? Because we, you know, I think with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of what people saw was um, inter international institutions, global institutions working together, um, both in the public and private area, you know, people coming together like COVAX, for example, to buy vaccines and provide them at a cheaper cost to some countries. But what exactly does the current system look like when it when it comes to funding or even um, providing global public goods? You know, where does it come from? 
So, I mean, much of the funding does come from governments, um, but what, what's happened is since the Second World War, the emergence, we've had the emergence of a global governance system that has kind of, in, in some respects, institutionalized um, power differentials between rich and poor countries. Um, so we've, we've got situations at the global level where certain countries have more influence compared to other countries. So there are inequities that have been built into global institutions. And then the second element is about the relationship between rich countries and poor countries. Um, so this is the direct relationship between um, donor countries, often the rich countries that are part of the OECD, providing funding to poorer countries for the purpose of development. And what we found over the last two, three, four decades is that these um, systems of donor-led development financing have not worked, or they've worked inadequately or insufficiently. And, and part of the reason is because we have, again, this power differential between donors and recipients. So what is being proposed through the Global Public Investment Initiative um, is a new model of financing where everyone contributes, whether you're a rich country or a poor country, you are contributing to an investment fund. And the idea is that through this process of co-contribution, um, you can also encourage more effective and efficient ways of co-governance and co-participation in the programs and the services and goods that are being financed. Um, now, this is not... Um, and, you know, it's easy to say this, but of course, everything is shaped by politics mm -hmm. and there's no kind of quick fix or, or magic bullet solution. Um, but, we, you know, it's very clear to many people that the current multilateral system is failing. Um, the current system of international aid, which is directed mainly by a few rich countries, is, is failing. And we've seen that with the experience of COVID. And we need new models in which rich countries, poor countries and countries in the middle can fund global public goods in a way that is much more equitable than the current systems. Mm. So how different would it be if we were to have global public investment compared to the current system? I guess, what are some examples that you, you think that we might see the most obvious um, improvements? Well, I mean, one example would be with with COVID vaccines, for example, and you know, or vaccines for the next pandemic. Um, a global investment model would be a model whereby all countries are contributing to a common pool of funding, um, and working through a more democratic governance structure, so that the funding and then the distribution. Uh, the funding and the manufacturing and distribution of these vaccines is done in a way that is more effective, efficient and equitable than it was with COVAX, for example. We've seen with COVID that, you know, there was a huge just, you know, amount of vaccines consumed in rich countries and many of the poorer countries really struggled to be able to access um, COVID vaccines, both because they lacked the funding, mm -hmm. but also because they couldn't get the vaccines because they'd all been um, reserved or they'd all been bought up mm -hmm. by um, by the richer countries. So this is both about funding, but it's also about governance and management. Mm. Would it mean a complete overhaul of the current system? 
Um, it, it wouldn't mean it wouldn't necessarily have to be a, a complete overhaul. And some of this is about a change in the mindset. Some of this is really about encouraging um, richer countries, for example, to um, you know allow poorer countries a greater say in the way that global public goods are, are funded and provided. So this is also about attitudes, but you know a lot of the current infrastructure that we have, which may involve the World Bank, uh, organizations like WHO, um, you know, can be incorporated into this new model. We don't need to completely rip up the current architecture and, and build from um, a blank sheet, as it were. Hmm. And to continue on that a bit more, um, would that mean that we won't necessarily see sort of a double payment to existing organisations such as the World Bank or the WHO and to global public investment, but rather a replacement of the current system then? Yeah, I mean, in some some instances, I think we may be looking at creating new structures or new mechanisms. Um, and in other instances, we'd be looking to evolve existing structures um, so this is not um, this is not a kind of blueprint um, where everything is worked out because what's really very important is that the key players that are involved in such a model and this in particular means governments um, and international financial institutions like the World Bank and the IMF uh, are willing to to support the model that is being proposed by. The, the, the group of individuals and organizations that are putting forward these ideas. Um, just one other important point to, to, to make is that um, here we're talking about global public investments and global public finance. And it, it's also important to, to note the fact that currently we, we have an imbalance between the amount of public finance at the global level and the amount of private finance at mm -hmm. the global level. Currently, we have a large amount of global private finance, um, but there's a really important distinction between private finance and public finance. You know, the idea is that public finance and public investment is there to fund and invest in things that are of value to society as a whole um, or, or to all people, whereas a lot of private finance and private investment is designed to create financial returns for private investors, uh, a smaller segment of society. Um, typically, public finance is there to also provide for things that will have a long-term benefit, whereas private finance is often looking at short-term returns, short-term benefit. Um, and for many economists are arguing that there's an imbalance between the amount of public finance and private finance that we need to increase the amount of public finance relative to private finance. So um, we, we need to also be thinking of ways to generate greater amounts of public finance. And in particular, we need to be closing all the loopholes that are enabling, in particular, very wealthy individuals and big transnational corporations um, to avoid and evade tax. Mm. Um, now, obviously, with public money, there's no guarantee that public money won't be stolen or misused to serve the interests of the few. We can't be romantic about public finance and just assume that this will always benefit mm -hmm. society as a whole. 
So the issues of governance, the issues of democratic and public accountability are, are really important with global public investment. Mm. And we'll get more into that um, after a quick break. And I want to ask you about the language that we use as well when it comes to um, global public investment or aid is what we commonly term it. I'm speaking today to Dr. David McCoy, a member of the expert working group on global public investment about what um, about this idea of global public investment and how it can offer us an alternative to the current system of cooperation and aid, which has proven to be inadequate to provide global public goods. We don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Suan. Joining me on the show today is Dr. David McCoy, a member of the expert working group on global public investment. He's also the research lead at the UNUIIGH, um, which is the United Nations University's International Institute for Global Health. Um, that's a think tank that's based here in Malaysia. We are talking about the need to move from international aid to international investment, that idea of global public investment, which was what we were sort of um, doing an intro into before the break. Uh, David, you, we right before the break, we were talking about this idea of accountability, of governance. What are the concerns of us having, I guess, the same issues that we're having now with governance even when we move towards global public investment? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that um, whenever we think about how we use and govern finance, whether it's public finance or private finance, there are issues about, about governance. You know, how do we ensure that this money is used in ways that are ethical, appropriate, you know, transparent, etc.? So, so the, the, the challenge to get greater amounts of global public finance to be able to provide better funding for global public goods, global public services and global public institutions is a political challenge as well. You know, we, we, we've got to get the global system to be working more effectively than it is. Um, and we have to do that directly through our governments who are then part of the UN system. And we need to get our governments to think globally, um, even though they are often operating at a, at a national level and thinking nationally. Um, climate change really emphasizes the profound importance of getting countries to cooperate um, and governments to work together. But we also need to be thinking about civil society organizations working collectively across national borders, working together across religious divides, racial divides, um, because um, you know many of these solutions will be provided through governments, but it's it's also scientists, professionals, civil society organizations, faith-based faith groups as well, working um, collectively and cooperatively. Um, they're, they're also very much part of the solution. Hmm. What was the consultation process like for the, I guess, working group and coming up with this proposal? You know, was it sort of a multi-stakeholder consultation process? Yeah, so the proposal um, that was put forward by the expert working group, um, um, and, and this was uh, launched only two or three months ago, um, followed almost a three to four year process of consultations and discussions involving, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of different organisations. They included a variety of uh, regional meetings um, in all parts of the world, um, 
consultations with um, international experts, academics, um, discussions with some of the global institutions that we talked about earlier. So there's been a really thorough process of engaging different groups, um, both to feed into the design of the proposals that were launched uh, two or three months ago, um, but also to generate support for this idea, for this initiative. Are you seeing um, support for this idea? Yeah, definitely. There's been lots of support. Um, people, I think, acknowledge that these principles are important, that the principles of the GPI model is what we want, it's what we need. Um, but what, what we need now to do is to really generate the political will to make this happen. Um, it's really governments and other um, powerful organizations need to, to um, ensure that <clears throat> what's been accepted in principle can now be actually implemented in practice. What would it look like for countries, you know, to introduce GPI into national level policymaking? Because that's where it has to be involved as well, right? At the national level for it to be reflected at the international level. What can countries like Malaysia, for example, do being a upper middle income country? So the, the, the principle of GPI is that all countries contribute to providing funds for global public goods and services. And um, and in that in that principle is is also another principle which which talks about countries providing a contribution according to their need according mm -hmm. to their wealth. So so a middle income country like Malaysia would make an appropriate contribution towards um, an investment fund that is designed or set up to provide a particular global public good or global public service. Um, so you know. For, for GPI to work, we, we need to get as many countries willing um, in principle to support this, this idea. Now, we don't need to start with every single country in the world. Um, so there's um, proposals about you know, starting small and then looking to grow, uh, grow bigger. Um, there's also been proposals to think about regional public investment. Um, so this idea could be looked at at the regional level. The idea, for example, that all the ASEAN countries in Southeast Asia could consider adopting the principles of GPI, but mm. adopting them at the at the regional level. So Malaysia would contribute to a regional investment fund or structure, and that could then be used in a way to fund public goods and public services at the at the regional level. You could think about applying that for pandemic security in the future um, and a whole range of other issues, you know, related to ecological protection uh, and so on and so forth. And, and the contribution would be made according to your wealth within ASEAN. Um, and then there would be a governance and management structure and system that would adopt the principles of, of GPI. Um, so, you know, you could very easily see this being developed through ASEAN and, and some of the principles of ASEAN um, are already shared by the principles of GPI. Mm. And that makes sense because, you know, if we look across the world, across different regions, almost every, pretty much every region has their own set of, you know, regional institutions. So that's one way to sort of scale up, but bit by bit, step by step. Yeah, exactly. Why now, though, you know, some might say, you know, why introduce this now at this point? 
you know, these ideas have, have been in existence for, for many decades. But I think what's happening now is that people recognize that the current system is not working. Development finance is not working. We saw again with COVID that the institutions are adopting um, practices that are colonial in their approach, that are inequitable, um, and that are largely ineffective. And and so there, there is a need, firstly, to highlight the importance of public goods and public services. There is a need to highlight the importance of you know, systems of governance at the global level that can enable countries to work more effectively together to address a problem like COVID or whether it's to address the, the, the major problem of, of climate change and global warming as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a need to really fund global public institutions to also ensure we have greater levels of financial stability and to ensure that we have institutions that can promote and protect peace. You know, we're also looking at the prospect of uh, rise in the frequency of wars and conflicts between countries. Um, so this notion of global public goods services and institutions is, is really important now. Um, and. And for many years, these public goods, public services and institutions at global level have been underfunded. So we also need to look at ways in which we can provide them with, you know, greater levels of of investment and funding. One thing that I've noticed is throughout our whole discussion, we've consistently used the term investment, right, versus the more commonly used um, aid that that term of aid or what we often hear as official um, development assistant. And that's something that I saw was highlighted in the um, GPI report as well, that um, the language and the theory of international aid is outdated. Why is that an important distinction to make? Yeah, that's a really important point. Um, So aid suggests that this is about rich countries helping poor countries. It's about charity um, it's about, um, you know, it's a system that also in many ways reinforces these power differentials between rich countries and poorer countries. And what the term global public investment does is to kind of shift away from a language towards a language which is basically saying rich and poor countries alike are investing in the common good. They're investing in services goods and institutions that will benefit everyone. Um, so this is not about rich versus poor country, but this is about saying, you know, we all live on one planet. We all um, are faced by multiple common threats, whether they be viruses and bacteria or climate change or international financial instability. Um, let's now look at a system where we invest in these important goods, services, and institutions in a way where we're equal partners. We we come together to um, co-create, co-manage, and we benefit collectively as well. So that, that's a really important mind shift away from, you know, this, this old-fashioned approach of aid and charity and rich countries providing development financing for poor countries. And very often that development financing is actually used in a way that benefits the rich countries rather than the poorer countries. So sometimes what we call aid is not really aid. Um, it, it just it, It's just labeled as aid. 
And I'm thinking even during the early um, year, the early months and the, the first couple of years of the COVID-19 pandemic in COVAX, for example, some of the vaccines which were meant to go towards um, lower income countries in the end went to upper, uh, higher income countries as well. And I think that was quite a um, stark reminder of how unequal a playing field it can be at the global level. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the whole maldistribution, inequitable distribution of vaccines is, is really shining a very bright light on the failures of uh, the financing of those vaccines, uh, the distribution of those vaccines. But it's also shining a light on, um, on the power of um, the multinational corporations that in some respects dominate the pharmaceutical sector. And, and they also play an important role in this inequitable distribution of vaccines, because what they're interested in is making as much profit as possible. Um, and they're not really part of a system that is there to provide um, a distribution of vaccines that will protect everyone. Um, and again, I want to come back to this idea when we talk about protecting everyone, um, distributing vaccines to Africa, to poorer countries in Latin America and Asia will also benefit people in the richer countries. So it's, it's this notion of co-financing, but also showing that through co-financing and co-investment, everyone benefits. That's an important part of GPI. Mm. It, may, it might not be direct benefit, but indirectly, everyone benefits in the end. Exactly. Um, and climate change is another example, you know, everyone will benefit. And um, if we don't address this problem, everyone will suffer. And we're already seeing that now with the higher incidence of floods in, in, many, con in many countries across the world. I think that's exactly. really um, a stark example. Do you see GPI as the solution or part of, you know, a package of solutions to better address, you know, cooperation at the global level? Yeah, G GPI is certainly not the solution, and GPI is not a blueprint for a single structure or a single initiative. Mm -hmm. It's really a set of principles, um, uh, a set of new ideas. Um, so it 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 is certainly, I think, part of the solution. But as said earlier, we also need to find ways in which we can better regulate private finance because a lot of private finance is being deployed in ways that are very destructive and harmful. Um, so we see private finance um, continuing to, to fund the fossil fuel industry in ways that are going to be harmful to everyone. Um, and and we, we need to be thinking also about the regulation of private finance and finding ways in which public and private finance can come together to serve the common interest, to serve the public interest as well you know, the issue of tax avoidance and tax evasion, you know, this is a really big problem um, that affects many governments at the national level, but ultimately also makes it more and more difficult to fund public institutions and public goods at the global level. Mm. Private finance is an interesting one because they have such a huge influence both at the national and international level, level that private lobby um, private lobbying groups that we don't always see them in the public eye, but they are. We know that they are often working behind the scenes. That's something that a lot of countries will need to address. To wrap up our discussion, David, you know, what are your concerns if we don't do enough to improve how we cooperate, how we work together at the international level, how we invest 
um, if we don't change how we invest into global public goods and services? Um, yeah, if we don't do this, we're, we're in trouble. Um, and um, we're in trouble, I think, both in terms of the effects of climate change, um, but also I think climate change itself is a threat multiplier. It, it will aggravate risks of other issues such as war and conflict. Um, so, so it's absolutely essential, and everyone is now saying this finally, including the UN Secretary General, we're facing a crisis as a as a you know as a global community. Um, the multilateral world order is is not um, working as well as it needs to, to work. Um, so everyone um, within countries, across countries, at the local level, at the national level, at the regional level, at the global level, um, we we all need to do our own bit to try and make things work more effectively. Um, and um, yeah, I don't want to paint too much of a pessimistic picture, um, but I think most scientists are now saying that the future is looking pessimistic and that the window of opportunity we have to prevent, um, you know, some of these more catastrophic future scenarios is short and, and we need to, to work both quickly and effectively. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, David. My pleasure, Suan. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking to Dr. David McCoy, a member of the expert working group on global public investment about global public investment and how that could offer us an alternative to better cooperation and investment at the international level to create a fairer playing ground, a fairer platform for all countries, regardless of their income. Um, He's also the research lead at the United Nations University's International Institute for Global Health. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suan and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.